like family with Brenda Donoghue. What has COVID-19 done to our families and how have older people coped? And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. Hello and welcome to Like Family. This week and next, I'll be meeting experts who will share insights on the impact of COVID-19 on family life and where we might need to look to find answers to the long-term implications for families of this pandemic. Now, since March, I have travelled the country gathering stories of how families were coping with COVID-19. I'm joined on the line by Roseanne Kenny, who is a professor of medical gerontology at Trinity College and a founder member of TILDA, the Irish Longitude Study on Ageing. And I'm also joined from the University of Ulster by Assumpta Ryan, who is the professor of health and ageing there. Hello to you both and thank you very much for joining me. I just want to ask you straight away, in terms of the headlines of this pandemic and the effect of the older community, what would you say straight away? I think the first time when the COVID regulations broke, it was all very new and frightening for everyone. And the reaction was to button down and quite literally lock in. And a lot of the headlines at that time were about lockdown, but for older persons, lock in, stay indoors, with a lot of reference to the elderly, the frail, the vulnerable, etc. Although at that time the regulations weren't mandatory, a number of older persons actually felt mandated and were the cohort who absolutely adhered rigorously to the recommendations. But I, I am aware that there was disquiet with the language that was being used you know, in the media, particularly the print media, the references and almost the marginalization of that group. But because it was so new and so unknown, the whole scenario, um, there was probably more acceptance at that time of that approach, although one can criticize that approach in retrospect, probably. And, and what about you, Assumptive? I, I would agree very much with what Roseanne has said in that we tended to um, group older people under that umbrella term, older people, and under that term sat people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, and they have very different life experiences, very different lifestyles, and there was the perception that, that this, you know, one set of rules was equally applicable across, you know, that 40-plus age range. Um, so I think we have certainly learned lessons in terms of how we classify older people and the sort of language that we use. But I would also agree that it all happened very quickly and decisions were made in great haste and the focus was very much on the preservation of life. And I think in, in, in looking at it through that lens, perhaps we, we, we weren't as conscious of the implications of some of the measures, particularly for that very diverse group of older people. Well, cocooning and not being able to enjoy family has been very difficult, but there was an indescribable joy in the summer when families could finally cross the country to reunite. John Boyle from County Donegal, who himself recovered from COVID-19, and his wife Anne, travelled to County Clare to meet their young grandsons 
after a long separation. The Boyles are on the last stretch of the long road from Donegal to Clare, a road that has separated them from their tiny grandsons since early March. Well, John is... uh, He's a real hard case. He just loves playing and acting and Patrick's very quiet. He just plays away with his toys quietly. Mm. But uh, John's not quiet. No. <laughs> we can actually see the house. Yes. Where they all are. We're going to stroll up to it now. Yeah. You you must have had some contact with them over the last couple of months. You couldn't FaceTime John because he <laughs> he would put it up to his ear. He didn't understand, so it was just phone calls. Mm. And uh when he would get the phone, he would go, "Hello, Granger." <laughs> And uh, he would tell us in his own wee language all the news. And it was it was lovely to hear him and he was talking about tractors and dogs. And then it would be so sad when uh, we had to hang up and we didn't see him. Mm. So, yeah, it was hard. Mm. You know, at least we could wave to our other grandchildren because they're next door and, you know, just five minutes away. But uh, the boys and Claire, we were just too far away. So, yeah, it's lovely to be getting to see them at last. We didn't wait till the day to pack. We had the car pack from last night, so all we had to do is get out and get into the car and drive down the road. We just can't wait to get this last couple of yards down the road to see them. Mm-hmm. With the hedge, we still just can't see them, but yeah. I, I, I can hear John outside playing. And I, oh, here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello, John. Hello, Rico. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Where's Granja's hug? Oh, big hug for Granja. Hello, guy. Hello, John. Hello, Patrick. Oh, and look they're at all Patrick. dressed in their dirty oh, gown gear. Put on them. Up yes. dirty gown. Up dirty gown. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Oh, the cars is coming. Oh, my God, the cars is coming. Cars coming. Did you miss Granja? Hey, what do you think, Patrick? You school Brenda. The poor daughter-in-law oh, didn't know, get anything. I Hello, Mary. Hello, how are you? How are you? It's lovely to meet you. And look, we're here in the lane. We haven't even got to the house Out yet. To the house. Everyone this... was so excited. I know, John just saw his granny, his, his granny and Granjan made a runner for it. I'm just so happy to see him. Um, we're just, <laughs> we didn't know when it was going to come, I suppose. So yes. it's finally here at last. And you're all safe we, and we healthy. We better give you a hug too. Yeah. <laughs> Great to see you. <laughs> oh, well. And Mary, you're crying. What does it mean oh. when you when you get a little bit teary? Of course, I suppose it's just, you know, with for so long not seeing him and not knowing when we were going to see him again. Um, so just for it to be here, it feels, um, it feels so real. We didn't know when the day was really going to come, I suppose. Will we go inside so guys and settle in? I hope you have something good baked. <laughs> or bought. <laughs> baked or bought. <laughs> now, how gorgeous was that? That's John and Anne Boyle reuniting with their grandchildren again. I think really what the lockdown has revealed for a lot of people was just how strong that bond is between 
grandparents and their grandchildren. Would you agree with that, Roseanne? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that story of itself speaks volumes more than I could. Um, so grand- grandparenting is, is a very precious resource that we have and possibly undervalue in, as a society. Grandparents um, are, have evolved as a necessary part of a family unit. They bring cohesion. They bring their many years of wisdom. They also bring time, because sometimes in younger, as younger couples, we haven't as much time to spend with children because there are so many other pressures on us. We know that uh, as, as people become older, that wisdom is um, coupled with more time. So grandparenting is hugely important from that perspective, but it also brings a lot to our economy. Grandparents in many circumstances afford both people in a couple an opportunity to work and to engage in the wider economy. And that's certainly, I know from our research, undervalued and under-realised. And Roseanne, there are different pictures emerging of how older people have dealt with the pandemic because in April the CSO survey suggested that they were coping better than any other age groups. But then if you read the survey that Tilda yourselves did with the loan, it suggested that some older people considered this a very dark time. So what do we know about how they coped and how they are coping? Well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head and that, you know, one size does not fit all. And that's part of the, of the whole problem, really, with, with the approach. Now, I don't have a solution because it's terribly challenging, but one size, of course, doesn't fit all. I know 82-year-olds who have run marathons at 82 and others who are very debilitated and confined to bed because of mobility problems in nursing homes. So, you know, you, we, it's, it's very difficult to categorize as a, as, as a homogenous group. There are those who have others in a household, so there wasn't a whole lot of impact. Um, and then, of course, people living alone who aren't savvy with technologies, who don't have extended families. We're, we're looking at this in much more granular detail at the moment, but we certainly know that people living alone are the ones who have been most severely affected by social isolation and loneliness and the consequences of that on ill health, unfortunately. When we look at loneliness and how it's affected families, particularly with the separation, how will we ever find out the real impact it's had on the older members of our community? I think the only way we're ever going to find that out, Brenda, is actually by asking people and by asking people across um, the different age ranges and, 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 and different age bands what their exact experience of the pandemic has been. And to follow that up in the way Roseanne is doing with, with her longitudinal studies, you know, to follow people up over longer periods of time. But it is important to, to talk to people, to listen to them, to listen to their stories, and to have an open mind in terms of both the, the positive and the negative experiences of it. Because we also have heard some very heartwarming stories. There's some information coming out from the Office of National Statistics um, in England, which is suggests that older people were more likely to check in on other older people um, than, for example, younger people, and that they were also 
felt safe, they felt that the community was um, looking out for them. So not, it's not all a bad story. There are some very heartwarming um, and encouraging stories uh, around this academic and how we behaved as, as individuals and as, as communities. There is a possibility of another national lockdown. So if you're looking at how you would advise those making the rules, making the restrictions, setting, setting by the policy, what would you say to them based on the last six months? I would say that uh, we're so much better educated about this virus now, all of us. And in my view, people are able to make up, particularly older persons, are well able to, to identify um, their, their own personal risk and what they need to do to obfuscate any complications from exposure, etc. So um, I would uh, be in favour of encouraging physical activity and fresh air as much as possible, because that's good for your immune system. But it's also good for social engaging. You know, if you've got the same person mm-hmm. that you walk with um, every day, that's at least that's some social contact. And you don't feel isolated and cabin fevered. Also, we've certainly learned about rapid testing and tracing. And we can see that as evidence. And it's getting better all of the time. So that's, that's good news. And, and there's bit, the, the, the report on the nursing homes, which was produced by Cecily Kelleher, uh, Killian Toomey and colleagues, is a great read. Hasn't had a lot of media attention, but, but it's a very good uh, uh, document. It's a very good review of what can happen in the nursing home sector. Remember, 3.5% only of older persons are in nursing homes, but they have, they have taken up so much of our time and attention, rightly so, because they were very, very exposed. But the nursing home sector have really come up to the mark in that context. And this report correctly covers issues to prevent that escalation of problems again it, and, and, and makes recommendation and has put a time slot on when those recommendations should be implemented. Now, it's good that you brought up the nursing homes because as difficult as independent older people have found this pandemic, those in deep old age living in nursing homes found themselves at terrible risk of illness and death, separated from their families at the end of life and the rituals of mourning their deaths denied to those left behind. I met Kate McGrady. Her mother Nell survived COVID-19 but her beloved dad John passed away in the spring. Can you hear me? Just here to say hello. Kate is visiting her mother Nell at the window of her nursing home. And you're looking great. Absolutely, the colour's back in your face. You Nell will be 80 tomorrow and birthday cards are arriving from all over the country. Chatting away, so she is, which is great. Chatting away. Yeah. We'll see what happens when this is all over. Okay. Love you. Kate is so pleased to see her mother looking better after her recovery from COVID-19. Looking at her now, she's looking great. She's healthy. She's eating. She's chatting away. Um, She's kind of making a bit of sense every now and again. And is she asking after your dad? She is now, yes. Um, I was just talking to her through the window and she just said she can't find him. Um, And you don't keep telling her that what's happened. So she is looking for him um, and looking in his room to see where he is, um, which is upsetting because 
she, she, yeah, she doesn't know what's going on. John, her husband of 55 years, died from COVID-19 at the end of March. Um, she was brought into his bedroom to see him when he had passed away, but I don't think she comprehended what was going on. Mm. It, it didn't, like us all, it hasn't gone, it hasn't sunk. So your dad came to the nursing home here two years ago. Yes. Why did he come here? Parkinson's and vascular dementia. We still brought him out every Tuesday. Myself and my brothers and my sister would still, even when he could walk and then when he couldn't, we'd push them around and he would still love to go out for a pint and love loved the social side of it, talking to people and um, getting out and about. And then your mum joined him in here. Why, why did she come into the nursing home as well? She got Parkinson's and liked the idea of coming up here to be with dad and they liked being together having their meals together sitting together holding hands all very lovey-dovey and watching telly together and a happy life here for the last two years very very happy if it's okay and don't worry if it's not but can you talk to me about what you as a family experienced well we didn't experience anything because we weren't part of it so we were all just at home waiting for phone calls every day for about two weeks. So it was me getting a phone call, Aruna getting a phone call from the nursing staff and then having to ring our brothers individually and repeat the, the conversation. And we were doing that maybe once or twice a day, every day for about two weeks. Um, and then waiting for the final call and we knew it was coming. Um, and then having to ring your siblings and tell them that over the phone, couldn't be together. There was no... There was no final goodbyes or holding his hand or... No, it's, 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 I can't explain how horrible the whole thing is because it's not sunk into me. It's just something that hap happened and we just were like automatically going through the process. Um, and even his funeral, it was just us in individual cars. Father Paul in the Sorth Parish thankfully gave him, allowed us into the church obviously sitting correctly um, and gave him a, a little send off that way and then straight to Dardistown. Um, there was no tears, there was no stories. We stood outside, we drank a little jemmy for him and it was all done and dusted, I say, within an hour and it was unreal that I buried my dad that morning and I was home making dinner that evening. It was like nothing happened because there was... There was no send-off. There was no seeing him. There was no crying. There was no... I'm getting upset now. All right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a horrible, horrible time. I don't know how you're doing this, Kate. Brenda, I come up here and I still think I'm going to see him or that he's in there somewhere. Do you know what I mean? That he's around because I haven't got to do the closure thing. Um Loves you mighty is his biggest saying and he says it to everybody, I love you mighty and I can hear him saying it in his Donegal accent, I love you mighty. So, yeah, it's not until we get complete closure that this will sink in. And that's Kate McGrady there telling me all about the terribly sad circumstances of the passing of her dad, John, from COVID-19 in April and Asunta, I suppose, 
does this pandemic really raise issues about caring for older people? So is the model of nursing homes, congregated settings appropriate? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a profoundly sad story, you know, the, 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 the human cost and the human impact of, of, of COVID-19. But to answer your question around the model of care, I mean, certainly COVID-19 has brought into sharp focus uh, the current uh, model of care for older people in Northern Ireland. And we know that some nursing homes still ha- are, are large older buildings. You know, they're multi- multi-occupancy units. It can be very difficult to put proper infection control measures in place. And those issues will need to be addressed. But it has also put a sharp focus on what is the best way to provide care for a diverse group of older people. So um, we will need to be looking at how we can support people to live at home for longer. And, and we know from our research that given the choice, most older people would elect to stay at home if they could be supported to do so. So we need to look at different models of care rather than just uh, um, moving towards residential care very early on in the ageing process. So I live in, in the north of Ireland, although originally from, from, from Leitrim, and our community care policy very much sees home as the hub and older people are supported to age in place. So older people can have um, help going into the home seven days a week, 365 days a year. gets a bit problematic if, if, if people need care during the night. But models of care like that that help and support people to stay at home, if they can be provided without um, increasing demands on family cares, um, then I think we need to be looking at, at those. So I think there is a menu of options, and we will always, Brenda, need nursing homes. You know, family size, structure, you know, role of, of, of women in society has changed. So we will not um, be able to provide care for people who are, who are living long with, with multiple care needs um, 24-7. But we can certainly work towards looking at, at a, the menu of options and the sort of arrangements that are in place, for example, in the Scandinavian countries, where um, there are smaller homes, um, more home-like surroundings, staff wear um, their ordinary clothes rather than wearing u- uniforms, and the focus is very much on the home rather than uh, a healthcare environment. And Rosanna, I'm thinking about the residents in the nursing homes and the impact of maybe seeing some of their friends, you know, pass away to this disease and they have to continue living in the nursing home. Do we have any idea what impact that is having on them? So, I mean, it's that plus they're confined to a room. It's yeah. almost like solitary confinement. Mm. I mean, the rooms are, no matter how much we try, it is a single room. So there isn't that much stimulation in the room. And then staff are coming in in full PPE. So visors, masks, gowned, etc. Uh, very strange environment, particularly if someone has some cognitive impairment but anyway it's a very very difficult situation very hard for staff awful for relatives and unbelievably difficult for the patients themselves so we do know that that sort of effect both from animal experiments and human research has a big knock-on influence on the stress system in the body and causes release of stress hormones and chemicals through the nervous system, which are detrimental to both mind and body function. One of the most important things we can do for physical health and brain health is to continue friendship, social engagement, 
being distracted, mm-hmm. variability in our day. All of those things are taken from someone in that uh, scenario. So it's a terribly cruel process. If we look back at this pandemic and everything everybody has gone through, what do you think has been the learning as we go forward to try and improve the quality of life of people who are slightly older? Well, I think without a doubt, the pandemic has shone a light on the importance of relationships relationships that we often maybe take for granted and it's not until those relations are are compromised or limited that we realize the extent of them. So I think there, there, there are lots that we can do to try and foster and improve those relationships is for me really the take home message. And finally, what about yourself, Roseanne? Um, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with uh, what's been said and, and maybe I'll just I just focus on the nursing home sector. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, there's been discussion around nursing homes, how, how to best apply care as I get older, because that's, that's who we're talking about. You're talking about me. And now the curtain has been drawn back on this sector. And, and we are acutely aware of the sector, the needs of the sector, the value of the nurses in the sector, and the huge need to do something about um, supporting the, the nursing home infrastructure and encouraging, if, as far as possible, ageing in place, but then a transition into units that are more meaningful for people. Uh, I, I was heartened to hear of that couple and their togetherness, and although they didn't share a bedroom, that they were able to share meals, etc. So... I think we will now have an opportunity to seriously reflect on how we end our days, where we end our days, and how as a society we can make that as good as possible. Well, thank you both very much for joining me on Like Family. That's Professor Roseanne Kenny and Professor Assumpta Ryan. Next week we'll be discussing the impact of COVID-19 on the younger generation. Thank you everyone for listening. And this programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. 